Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Fireboys is the untold story of young men incarcerated in California who are offered a way out by fighting wildfires. Immersive and personal, this coming-of-age story examines the correctional path that is both helpful and destructive. And I also want to mention, before we speak to our, our guest today, that seasonal blazes across the state of California have become the new normal. Uh, in this particular film, uh, The Fireboys, there is mention of some of the largest fires, Camp Fire and Mendocino Complex Fire in 2018. But this is the new normal, and there are so many resources that we need to devote to this now in fire season and also now in non-fire season that it is an issue that we are going to have to address as a society and, and for a lot of different reasons. But this film is also about these young men who are looking for a, uh, not only for a way to get out of prison on their own terms, but also uh, in the way that we treat people who have been in prison. This is also part of this film, this wonderful film, Fireboys. And we're joined today by the co-directors of this wonderful film. Uh, that would be Jake Hockendonner, as well as Drew Dickler. To both of you, welcome to Film School Radio. Thank you, Mike. Thanks for having Good us. Good to be here. Yeah, thank you. You had such an amazing level of access to Pine Grove, to, to the camp, to the prison, to these different people that we see in the film. And I'm just going to throw this as sort of a jump ball. Who who should answer this question? But what inspired this documentary? What Who is the kind of what is the driving force or inspiration for it? Drew and I were working together as a filmmaking team for really since college. And, you know, after graduation, we kind of started another collaboration as as, as a part of a fellowship that was addressing kind of complex human issues happening in Northeast Ohio, where we even went to school. We went to Oberlin College, that's where we met. And the experience that we had doing that covered a range of issues. We, so we touched on mass incarceration, re-entry, the opiate epidemic, unhoused children, and the community reeling after the death of Tamir Rice in Cleveland. And that kind of gave us this real crash course into this particular type of justice-focused filmmaking. And at the same time, this was 2014, 15, I had been invited to a prison by the late filmmaker, humanist filmmaker, Jonathan Demme, to document him showing us one of his films to a group of men that were part of a, what was kind of structured, it was called the Hope Channel. It was actually a inter-prison television channel completely run by the incarcerated community there. And a lot of those, it was men and women, it was two different institutions. And so I had come to just document that talk. And afterwards, uh, it was like around midday, Jonathan just said, I have to go. And he left me and all my gear and everything at the prison. And all these men started approaching me and asking me questions about what I do. And they started showing me their work. And that just became this conversation that lasted three hours. And I said, I have to come back here. This is remarkable. This is not what I expected. This is not who I thought would be incarcerated here. This is not the people I thought would be behind bars, like perceptions that were just shattered in an afternoon. And so I worked with the kind of coordinators of that program to become a volunteer. And that same year, I brought Drew in to teach documentary filmmaking work classes with that group of incarcerated men as a way to help them tell their own stories and to help them improve their craft because they thought this was my, our way out. Several of them, uh, once they did get released eventually, 
ended up starting careers as you know media producers, photographers, graphic designers, uh, motion graphic artists. Like so that you know we had we were able to see this like real impact in that space just by them having these skills. And then um, you know again I kind of became like this criminal justice news junkie, and the Marshall Project had just started their work in 2014, leading to 2015. And I read a piece about a I read a piece by Eli Hager uh, about incarcerated firefighters in California getting paid one to two dollars an hour to risk their lives every year and they've been doing it since 1945 and I had no idea this was the reality of California that California faced this was during a major drought like the sort of you know midway through this major drought season and it was they were consistently seeing these headlines about these these increasingly worsening fire seasons but but I wasn't getting much about the information about who's actually fighting those fires and who's battling those those blazes, who's protecting those lives, homes, businesses every year. And it turns out it was, at the time, it was 3,000 Cal Fire employees and 3,000 incarcerated firefighters. And so that became like, within the vein of the, the work Drew and I were doing already, you know, it became kind of this question of like, okay, this could be a really interesting piece to address one, stories around mass incarceration as the pendulum in the United States, or at least the conversation around mass incarceration was swinging from like a retributive system, a system based on punishment and more rehabilitation. And this program, these fire camp, the conservation fire camp programs are sort of touted as rehabilitative. And so we, I thought, you know, this is still prison labor exploitation. So let's go look at this and challenge it. It was probably a week after that, I, I kind of read that article and kind of became really curious that I saw a story about a youth from Washington state who had escaped a youth fire camp. And in that incident, like something crazy, like he escaped and, and they found him and he, he had stolen a gun and shot himself. It was this terrible story and he didn't die, but it was just a, a really like harrowing tale. And I, I went back to that journalist I talked to and to Eli Hager and I said, hey, are there any youth fire camps in California? He said, yeah, there's one. It's the oldest one. And so we've, we found, and that's how we found Pine Grove. From there, we contacted a public information office and kind of pitched them this idea of, you know, here's what we see, here's the story that we want to come here and meet these young men who are helping save Californians from these worsening fire seasons. And so Drew and I uh, went out there for a three-day shoot and met these remarkable young men. And from there, it just evolved into, you know, five and a half years of building relationships and following their stories and engaging them uh, on various stages of their lives uh, and kind of crafting this saga, right? This coming of age tale from inside, from, on, from the fire line and out in the world to see what it takes to actually go through that system and have these hopes and dreams, and then come out on the other side and, and see what the impact would be on these guys. Well, Drew, I know from my time uh, in public service, especially with a, an agency, that uh, most uh, agencies are reticent to let outsiders in. And I would imagine that something like Cal Fire or, you know, would be reticent as well, especially into a situation like this where you're dealing with young men who are, who are in the midst of an incarceration. Um, how did you gain their trust? How did you gain, how did you gain access first? And then uh, as you're going through this process, was there a point at which you began to focus on particular people that we do see in the film, uh, Fire Boys? Yeah, I mean, I'd say our approach in terms of gaining initial access, Jake and I, as part of the fellowship that Jake described, had finished a film called A Thousand Second Chances. And that was about a restaurant program in Cleveland that works with returning citizens. And so we shared that film with them and kind of give a sense of like, this is our perspective. This is where we've come from before and what we'd, what we'd like to explore. And, you know, they were surprisingly willing to, to welcome us that first shoot, I would say. I think we both were a little surprised. Obviously, there's a lot of back and forth around permitting, but we, when we were allowed to come, they... 
they gave us pretty free reign to walk around and speak with whoever we wanted. I think, you know, part of that, frankly, is we came in thinking we were going to make a short film. That was the, you know, our history and our collaboration. I think welcoming us for three days is very different than saying uh, we're going to do five and a half years. However, I'd say as we continue to show up and build the story and connect with the guys and be really transparent about our process and the fact that we do want to explore every element of this, um, and we started to get buy-in from the guys there, um, I think it kind of just allowed us over time to continue to, again, build those connections and like get that intimate access that allowed us to tell the story. That being said, there was stopping and starting. I mean, part of working within the prison system is understanding that between shoots, people are going to come and go. Some will be released and some will be transferred back to other facilities. And so in terms of how we found our characters, there was definitely stopping and starting there. Um, we were very fortunate that Chewy Hernandez, who is really the heart and soul of our film, he's the young man who um, had been at fire camp for several years. We met him and dreamed of becoming a professional firefighter. We followed his release. We met him on the first day of shooting, interviewed him on the first day. And, you know, as he kind of opened up to us, as he shared just like really amazing insight about the ways that being considered a firefighter as opposed to an inmate really changed him spiritually. I think, you know, and the fact that he was getting out within nine months, uh, Jake and I kind of looked at each other and were like, there's so much here that we really have to explore. Well, and there's also Alex. We follow yes. in the film and we follow a number of different people in the film. And just as you described, I mean, they're in prison and circumstances change and one strike and you're back, you know, you're not, you're out of fire camp and you're back. So you back into the, into the system again. But in that period of time where we're getting to know the fire crew, the, the people who are trying to be part of that uh, Cal fire, uh, there's a lot of different experiences, a lot of different personalities and I think you guys did a masterful job of focusing on a lot of people, giving us enough information to get to know enough about them to be able to kind of understand where they are and where they may end up. I think there you can, I hate to say it's predictive, but there is a sense of this. And uh, and also the, the people who run the camp. Uh, it's a very no nonsense. This is not, you know, this is not an easy way to get out of the, of the, prison that they they were in and and find a place where they can just kind of hide out for a while they're actually put to the task pretty quickly and by people who are are no nonsense and uh, i mean a couple of people julie hutchinson she's the one i think we spend a fair amount of time with in the film and she is absolutely no nonsense uh and that's for uh, sure yeah, <laughs> yeah, she is. yeah she is from the get-go <laughs> But I think what happens in the in the film for me is this, you sort of set up this dynamic. I'm sure Captain Hutchinson wants them to succeed, but she is not about to kind of bend over backwards to make that happen. It's up to them. It's a wonderful dynamic in the film. And Jake, and, and just in terms of sort of establishing, to some degree, a, a um a rapport with her in order to be able to accompany her on her on her mission. It, it's an important part of the film, and I just wouldn't mind describing just sort of how that plays out. And for our listeners, what is it that she does there at the fire camp? Julie Hutchison is the training crew captain at Pine Grove at the time of we were filming. So her job is really essential to making getting those young men who are coming out of the lockdown facilities ready for placement on the fire crew. And so she's training them. One, it's two parts, right? It's it's a there's a physical side and there's a classroom side. Uh, they have to pass a, a test hike. So they have to, you know, basically hike four, four miles or so in an hour and 15 minutes. And then they have to pass a series of tests. 
They have to get, they get fire shelter trained. We got fire shelter trained. Julie made sure we were, Drew and I were fire shelter trained. Like that was part of our requirement to be on the fire crew with them to even accompany the crew. So, you know, so her, her role is, is so much the preparedness of what it, like getting everybody, getting those, those young men to like up to the task of getting on that fire crew to be ready to go to respond. So the day after they finish training crew, they they go on a crew, they get placed and they can go to a fire. And when we were following her and her class and Alex's training crew, much the day after he got placed on crew, he was out on fire. So her task is incredibly important in that, in her in the role at camp. Um, and she is no nonsense. She's also an incredibly intuitive and smart read of these young men and is really capable of like seeing them fully, seeing where they are are like their hearts and minds, how willing they are to, you know, some of the behavior and some of the responses to anti-authority, that's not going to work on a fire crew, right? One, it's like, you have to work with your captain to be safe. That's the main thing, right? It's safety and making sure everybody comes back to camp and can go home, you know, eventually. Well, I was just going to say, I think something else that's interesting about Captain Hutchison and her dynamic that kind of speaks to the way the larger camp works and, and how complex it is, is that, you know, Julie represents Cal Fire. And Cal Fire sees Pine Grove Camp mostly as fire suppression and preparing guys to be ready to go out in the lines, press fire, fight fire. And then you have the other side of camp, which is, you know, the officers whose job it is who work for DJJ, CDCR to, you know, these guys are imprisoned and keep them in line, if you will, and keep them, you know, well behaved. And I think Julie has this unique position of being a representation of kind of the freedom of firefighting and her responsibility there and the hard decisions she has to make about, you know, are guys really ready to do that? And what does that mean for them as firefighters and also as people who don't want to be in an institution? It is a fascinating dynamic because because of the, the circumstances these young men find themselves at this camp at Pine Grove 4 and to see the various reactions to the training and to the requirements and to the kind of discipline that these young men are, are now facing and to hear their backstory. And that's another thing about the film that I, we need to touch on is they get, I think, 2 to $4 an hour for their work. I think they get, they get a little more money when they're in a fire. Correct me if I'm wrong. I believe this is kind of the heavy lifting of fighting a forest fire is what they're doing. Right. This is the on-the-ground manual labor, digging a fire break, running up and down these hills under extremely dangerous conditions. And so we see this play out in the film. But I do want to talk about this kind of the idea of the path for people to get not only get out of prison sooner, but what this means to them in terms of their quote-unquote rehabilitation. How is what we see in Fireboys? Mm -hmm. It plays out on a lot of levels, but one of which is sort of the rehabilitation of, of prisoners who are there and how this is going to impact them moving forward. I think for these, for, for the justice-involved youth that are at DJJ in the film, they see fire camp as one, a way out of a lockdown facility, right? A way to get out of a cell. You see that one of the beginning, beginning of the film, we arrive at the institution, we see a door open. I mean, that was sort of, that sets, for us, set the tone for that experience of like, this is a place that we're setting you on a pathway. We know that these guys are going to be fighting fire, but we need to establish where they come from. And they're coming from solitary confinement in some cases. In that situation, that was a that was at um, Chatterjohn uh, Youth Correctional Facility, and that's an intake unit, which basically means that these guys are in transition. They're getting placement there, and the and the fire camp recruits right from that 
level. Like they've been there for a few weeks. Like Alex, Alex had just arrived basically to locked out facility from a county facility. And, you know, they, they tell them about fire camp all the way through. Like here's an alternative to being here. You have to earn it. You have to be in a certain kind of, you have, to have a certain kind of stance with your behavior. You know, you can't have, uh, you can't be fighting. You can't be breaking the rules. Uh, you know, you really have to kind of run, you know, they call it running your program, which means, you know, essentially just being well-paved uh, and, and following the rules and, and even, you know, doing other things like seeking educational opportunities and, and to, you know, taking on jobs and roles that also improves. But the fire camp is, is essentially coming in there to test these guys right. by running this pre-camp program, right? And that's how to kind of entice them, but also get them prepared physically and then allow them to learn the 10s and 18s of, you know, fire safety these sort of like marching orders and uh, safety precautions that will help guide them. And that's part of their, their, their test to get certified as well. So they're getting all that stuff really early on in the institutions. And they're also, you know, the huge incentives that come in and a lot of this stuff changed over time when we were filming and a lot of this stuff has changed today. I mean, uh, as of now, DJJ is marked to close and there will no longer be a California state department of juvenile justice, but yet Pine Grove still exists and Pine Grove will persist. And we can talk, and more about those details, but uh, you know, once they get transferred to camp, they're kind of given their orientation where they're told, "Here's what you can do here. Here's the work you're going to do. Here's the incentive you have. They can earn time cuts, uh, so they can get time off their sentences that are essentially credits from from being on fires and working at the camp. And in addition to the two to four dollars an hour that they're earning, if they get called to a fire, they earn an additional dollar an hour. And some of this adds up for these guys, same thing with the time cuts. So they can get substantial amounts, like several months off their sentences if they're there for a few years. And I think for a lot of them, you know, the practical and the, you know, the, the pathway to freedom and the Pine Grove is this opportunity to just get the time cuts and be able to earn a little bit of money and do this job. It's like just one very practical aspect of going to camp. But I think what a lot, what we observed and what, a lot of these guys have learned in that experience is that they're a lot more capable. And we even saw that right away that, and they work in these crews, they're doing something collectively. It's giving them a lot of mission zeal and, and they're proud of their work and they get acknowledged for that work. And they're, and I mean, acknowledge like they, people, the communities around Pine Grove love that camp. They need that camp. That camp is their first line of protection to save their homes. Right. And fire and, and, and Pine Grove gets brought into all the Cal Fire celebrations that happen in those communities. I mean, they throw parades for these guys in some of the neighboring towns. And you can see them light up. And when the Pine Grove firefighters come through, the entire street lights up and full round of applause. I mean, they are, they are seriously uh, celebrated for what they do. And for some of these guys, that's they've never had that experience they've never been in a situation where they can be they can see themselves as contributor to their community in an incredibly impactful way and i think that that by itself is restorative right we talk about rehabilitation in these ways what does it actually look like i mean giving somebody a job and some skills and a means to self-actualize can be rehabilitative but to restore part of their humanity in this way that made them feel like they've been rewarded for actually that contribution is so, is so much greater. Um, and for them and for a lot of the guys we talked to, even if they don't go into firefighting after they leave Pine Grove, they're stronger because of that experience. And they're more resilient once they go back to their, their communities. Yeah. I want to remind our listeners, we're speaking with the co-directors of the film Fireboys, which is out through 
1099, the film distributor, it's out on August 3rd. You can purchase it or rent it. There's a number of ways to go to check that out, to check out this film, uh, Fireboys. And I believe, is there a website uh, specific? I do. Um, I just want to, it's 1091 Pictures. Just 1091 Pictures, the best place to go okay, for people to go. 1091 is, check it out. And all that will all be posted at the filmschoolradio.com website uh, on how to watch it through the 1091 website as well. We're speaking with Jake Hockendonner as well as Drew Dickler. And one last question, because and that is the access. I mean, there were times in this film where it looked like you might be in a little bit of danger. There's always the potential for danger anytime you go out on a fire, but specifically a couple of times look a little nerve wracking, I'm sure. Equipment wise, this is a show about film and filmmakers. Um, so equipment wise, are you using DSLR? I mean, how how are you when you're at, as a, as a crew, how are you equipped? Is it just the two of you? Do you have a sound person? Drill, well, you know, basically, as as someone who's going into a relatively dangerous situations or in tight places like the camp and all those other places, what are you generally using when you when you go into a shoot? Yeah, I mean, on the most basic level, we use Canon C100s Mark II, Mark II. Okay. Yeah, it was really challenging. There were definitely times driving up the fires where I was looking at the manual to see like what degree would it take for the battery to explode? Like that was like a really, really real question that we had to keep in mind. And also, you know, we're decked out in full Nomex in order to be qualified to go on the line. So working with gloves, working with the helmet. Um, and for me personally, the hiking alone was something I trained for. We joke like Jake was living his best life on the hikes. He's like super outdoorsy and it definitely uh, was an adjustment for me and a worthy one. But, but yeah, I think that that hardship, I hope, really lends a sense of like grit and urgency to the filming of those scenes because it was really real. Um, not to spoil it, but there's was one moment in the film where there is a much closer call than I think we hope to to have. And there's that moment where we're shooting that shot of the guys running, and you have that thought like, should I be running too? And I guess that kind of is what it means to be a doc filmmaker making a film like this. But very very memorable production experience for sure. Yeah, that's why I love documentary filmmakers willing to go places that others might not. The fact that you can trust your instincts to the degree you do when you make the film, following the people you do oftentimes can be a dead end, but oftentimes can be uh, tremendously rewarding as well. So uh, my hat's off to you for a lot of reasons, but this is a terrific documentary film. Um, Fireboys. It's a t- 1091 Pictures is the distributor and the there's the, our website would be fireboysdoc.com. Okay. Fireboysdoc.com, yeah. All right, great. And um, also, just I think they want us to share that it's going to be available for VOD August 3rd. August 3rd, yes. So it'll be available on a lot of platforms. Uh, is that fair to say? A lot of platforms on August 3rd. Be looking for it. Congratulations. Congratulations on the film. Congratulations on your work. And I look forward to more. Hope we'll have an opportunity to talk in the future. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Mike. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio. Radio.